Well, good evening, LCM. You guys ready to get into the word tonight? Tonight is September 22nd, 2022. Look, tonight's going to be fun. We're going to speak as family, to family, and we're going to discover some things together in the word. You guys ready? Look, we're inspired by the messages that the Lord has given us in the last few weeks, and we could not be any more excited to share with you what the Lord has been speaking to our hearts personally. Amen. Tonight should be refreshing. Tonight should be exciting, and it should be inspiring for you as we dig into the scriptures together. God is doing amazing things in our body, and we can easily see the growth that is happening in every family as we are collectively responding to the word of the Lord that is coming to us in these recent weeks. As we stand here, we can see the smiles on your faces. We can see the excitement in your eyes and the anticipation that you have. Get it, Rob? That the Lord is doing amazing things in this body. We want to talk to you tonight about something that is affecting our heart. Something that we are aspiring to have more of. Vision that is prophetic and elevates our brothers. This is something that every man and woman of God should be growing in, and it is something that all of us grow accustomed to living without. Tonight we're going to attempt to lay down a scriptural basis for the importance of prophetic vision and its growing need and importance in our lives. You guys ready? Let's get in the word, church. So we want to start with a, mess, with a word that actually impacting our hearts recently. Let's go to Proverbs 28.18 in the ESB. I'm sorry, 29.18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off uh, restraint. But, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The title of tonight's message is Prophetic Vision. You see, where there's no prophetic vision, that's affect all, all of us around. That's affect you personally, and that's affect your brothers around you. So when people do not, uh, do not know what they're aiming for, they like sheep going straight. So we need to have prophetic vision so we know where we're aiming at. Amen. When we have no focus, we lost all restraint. And become self-focused and selfish. But we will fix this today. We will fix this by focusing in the mighty word of God. The law. And what we can, uh, how we can live in it. How we will live it. And how we actually going to work it out. Let's look at a passage that has been very familiar to us since Sunday message. Misplay enmity. All right, let's turn to Genesis 37. Verses 3 through 4. I'll wait a little bit. Let's say there when you're there. All right. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them... They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You see, in this passage, we've learned that Judah and his brothers 
they do not have the vision of their father. They don't have the same vision that their father has, and they don't have the same love that their father has. They are not seeing their brothers in the way that God saw them. God saw Joseph at that point, and it caused them to put enmity in the wrong place. This is also true about us. If we do not have the father's perspective, then we cannot have his heart. We cannot understand what his heart is aiming towards. I want you to listen to what this caused in the brothers. I'm going to quote it in Hebrew for you, and I want you to listen for a couple of words here. Are you all ready? Some of you have been learning Hebrew, and a lot of you can recognize a lot of words in Hebrew. So I'm going to see if you can get it. Are you ready? The verse that says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. It is, Vais neu oto velo, vachlu davaru le shalom. Did you catch that? Did you catch davar and shalom in the sentence? What this actually says is not that they couldn't speak a kind word to Joseph. It says they were not able to have a thing in shalom. They were not able to have a single thing in their lives in shalom because they hated Joseph. It also could read like this. They were not able to speak a word of shalom to Joseph because they hated him. What you're seeing is that a lack of vision produced a lack of restraint towards their brother. Just like Proverbs 29, 18 says. The restraint of their flesh came completely off because they had a lack of vision towards their brother or they could not align with their father's vision for their brother. So therefore, all restraints came off and they could not get a single thing in shalom or speak a word of shalom to their brothers. Now look what happens in the next verses. Let's continue on verse 5. Joseph have a dream, and when he, uh, he told it to his brother, they hate him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were biting a, a chafe of corn out of the field. When uh, suddenly my, uh, my shelf rose and stood upright, while your shelf gathered around mine and bowed down to him. His brother said to him, do you, in, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And, and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had to say. You see, the Hebrew word in here, uh, the English here says, they hate him all the more. But the Hebrew here says, they add him, they add hatred. Hatred towards him. It was added to the previous hatreds that they have on him. You see, when we don't see the vision that God has for our brothers, hatreds start coming in our hearts. When we misplace immunity, that's continue to grow. Do you see that they hate him all the more? Actually, show twice. That's because they were adding interest to it. When we add interest to hatred to our brothers, when we actually don't see the vision that uh, God has for them, we committed murders in our hearts. 
and we won't be able to share on our brother's victory. So we are going to make a turn on this misplaced enmity by providing a solution, a solution that was given to us on Sunday. We need to have a, a righteous reticle. Amen. We're going to actually put Shalom in order. Do you remember how the righteous uh, reticle looks like? Who was on top? God. That's right. So let's turn to Isaiah 6.1. And let's see Isaiah radical getting in right order with God. We're going to see how... The Lord dialed in Isaiah's reticle. You ready for Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1? It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Church, Isaiah is receiving a prophetic vision of the throne room of, room, room of God. You will remember that in this prophetic vision, Isaiah is seeing smoke coming from the temple. He's seeing everything shake in an earthquake-like manner. And he also sees angels around the throne shouting and declaring that he is holy, holy, holy. This is the beginning of Isaiah's prophetic vision. It all started with Isaiah witnessing the attributes, the character, and just the sheer majesty of who God is. Like men such as Moses, Peter, and Paul, this is where most of us started in our relationship with the Lord. If you've said things like, well, I've loved the Lord my entire life, and then the Lord brought me to LCM, and I just started growing in my love towards the Lord when I got here, that's not true. If you are right with God, if you had a born-again experience, if you've been regenerated in the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, it all started with a revelation of God's holy character, the perfect nature of who he is, the justice that he has towards your sin, and it causing you to react in a certain way. Amen. That is how we start our vision with the Lord. You see, in a minute, you will see what this produced in Isaiah. But as we are thinking about Isaiah's commissioning, I want to remind you that this was never meant to be a one-time event in Isaiah's life, nor was it meant to be a one-time event in our lives as well. Remember what Jesus said to Paul in Acts 26, verse 16. He said, now get up and stand on your feet. This is after he received his vision. Get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me in this vision and what I will show you. Do you see the ongoing nature of having to, we see a vision and that causes us to interact with God. But the ongoing nature that is uh, of the necessity of having to see the Lord each and every day in the same manner. We must start, just like Isaiah, of seeing a vision of the Lord daily. This is where our vision begins. We must see his character. We must interact with his attributes. We must get to know and interact with his reputation every day if we want to live in prophetic vision. Look at what this produced in Isaiah 
On in Bur Isaiah 6, verse 5. On verse 5, it says, Woe to me, I cry, I am in ruin. For I am man of unclean lips, and I, I live among, uh, among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, when we start seeing the character of God rightly, that's got something on us to see that we are not there. That his character, that his character is so clean that we have to aim to be there. That we have to fight for that. And that caused us to actually cry out for transformation. That's caused us to see that we have selfish desire that we need to, to die to. This is caused Isaiah to actually see that his, his, his radical wasn't right. And he aimed for transformation. He cried out for transformation. Something grew up in him that he wants to change. Stay in Isaiah 6. And I will read to you 1 Corinthians 7, 11. It says, See what this golden sword has produced in you. What earnestness. What earnestness to clean yourself. What indignation. What alarm. What longing. What concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proven yourself to be innocent in this matter. Church, we have to stop this. We have to stop being proving innocent ourselves, thinking that we have achieved the righteousness of God. If you're thinking that your radical is right, evaluate closely because you're deceiving yourself. Ask the Lord to show you the eagerness, the eagerness to, to see where you misplacing enmity with the Lord. Where you put in and charge your interest to your brothers because you don't see them the way that their father see them. See, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't do this rightly, you will be destroyed. But we are here to help you tonight, church. Amen. Let's do it. So Isaiah's vision started with seeing the character, reputation, and attributes of God. That immediately caused him to cry out and look at himself rightly after seeing God rightly. He cried out for transformation, and that led to verse 7 of chapter 6. It says, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Recognize that it was only after Isaiah saw the Lord rightly, he could see his own state rightly. That was the only way he could see himself. And after seeing his state in comparison to the Lord, it produced a desire to be transformed. He cries out. This actually resulted in atonement for Isaiah. He did not need to fabricate feelings of being right with the Lord. He actually found atonement at the throne of God. Oh, church, what is it like to have this atonement? It is freeing to actually have atonement from the Lord. It is freeing. It is burden lifting. It is shame crushing all at the same time. It is like seeing things right for the first time in your life. You see, this is exactly what Paul was speaking about in 2 Corinthians 4.16 when he said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That daily atonement. This daily 
prophetic vision of God's character, producing daily godly repentance results in daily atonement from God. Not from yourselves, but from God. What a joy to know that you've been atoned for and accepted by the Holy King that you are actually seeing. What a joy to see the King of Kings and know that he has actually atoned your sin. What freedom that is, church. It is only after these things that verses 8 through 9 could come about. This is what we have been wanting to get to. You see, first, Isaiah have to recognize the character of God, his holiness, and how far he is from it. But the Lord is gracious, and he's transforming and giving a clean heart Amen. that now he's able to do this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who should I send and who will go for us? And I say, here I am, send me. He say, go and tell these people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So it wasn't until Isaiah actually see the Lord rightly. Until he actually have an encounter with the Lord of who he is and his righteousness. And recognizing on himself that he's far from that. And being cleansed from that. Having his radical set in the right place. That he actually can be sent for his brother. He is being commissioned for his brothers. This is how we normally try to do this. We try to ask for the Lord for what we want and then ask him for, to bless it. No other way around. We don't look for what he wants for us first. And then for us to be transformed. But we ask for what we want and we want him to bless that that we already choose in our hearts. The same thing goes for our brothers. We want to have transformation on our brothers, but before we actually seek the Lord. You cannot, you cannot have vision for your brother without seeking the Lord first. That's not the right order. You have to see what the Lord desires for your brother, and then they send you for them. If you do it all the way around, you are placing and amenity when your brother you are putting things that don't belong from the lord in your brothers because you don't see in your father's first concerning them what is coming is actually out of your own heart out of your own vision but no prophetic vision towards your brothers isaiah was able after doing this to work for the benefit of the people Amen. that's the only way that we can do this in order for us to work for the benefit of our brothers, we need to follow these steps. Then, like Isaiah, we will be able to prophesy for them. We'll be able to prophesy about salvation in moments of calamities. And about calamities in moments of prosperity. Because we need to encourage Correct, rebuke, and train in righteousness. Amen. We are meant to do all that for our brothers. Not only was one side of the coin. On Isaiah 30, 19 to 21 says, People of Zion who live in Jerusalem. Well, I'll let you get there. Let me say there when you get there. All right. Isaiah 30, 19, 21. 
People of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry out for help. As soon as he's here, he will answer you. Although the Lord give you the breath of adversity and the water of affliction, your t-shirt will be hiding no more. With your own eyes, you will see then. Church, it's when you all eyes that you will see those that the Lord are sending you. But you need to have the eyes to see it when the Lord send it. And you need to be right with the Lord for you to actually see it. Whatever you turn to the right or to the left, your ear will be hear a voice behind you saying, this is the word. This is the way, walk in it. So do we need to have insight for our brothers and our family? Who wants to have insight for our, for our brothers? So this comes from daily devotion on his word. Implementing the word in your life constantly. Start seeking God. Start seeking his face. And face his justice when he's come to you. Because he's needed for you to have the right order with him. And he will make you stand rightly. He will make you stand before him. Then, then you will have a clear vision of those around you. And the Lord will make us all greater by it. So let's briefly visit a few passages that flowed directly out of Isaiah's vision of the Lord. We want you to see the multifaceted way that he was able to minister out of his subsequent vision for the people. You guys putting this all together? Starting in Isaiah's vision of the Lord, his cry for transformation, his actual atonement, and then out of that, God gives him a commission to the people. Look at the multifaceted way that he's able to minister to the people rightly. In Isaiah 13, 6 through 9, in verse 6, Isaiah says to his brothers, to his family, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Isaiah was able to prophesy difficult warnings to the people. And those prophecies from Isaiah, they came from his own experience from the Lord. He wasn't just choosing to be mean when he felt like being mean. He was able to actually put his finger on the issue. He didn't shy away from these difficult warnings given to his brothers. But he also did them with a the right heart. Have you guys ever struggled with having to give a difficult warning to a brother, but doing it with the right heart? Isaiah was able to do that because his experience started with a vision of God and him being transformed. He's not charging usury here. He had already seen the Lord's holiness and repented personally. And he had already been atoned for. This was not Isaiah beating up his brothers or exploiting their weaknesses. He warned them because he wanted them to have the same experience he had. He was able to warn them rightly. But that's not the only thing Isaiah was able to do. Isaiah 45, verse 15 through 17. He speaks to his brothers in another way. Truly you are a God who hides himself. 
O God and Savior of Israel. All the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgraced. They will go off into disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. Not only was Isaiah able to prophesy warnings rightly, he was able to declare amazing details that the people could not see in their present circumstances. In the people's worst condition, because Isaiah had a vision of the Lord, he was able to see rightly what they would become, even though they couldn't see what they would become. You see, we must have the same experience that Isaiah had so that we can see the people rightly like he did and administer what they actually need. If we are daily seeing the Lord, daily repenting, and daily being atoned, then and only then can we commission, be commissioned daily for our brothers. Only then can we rightly place when and where a prophetic warning or a prophetic encouragement is needed. Only then can we have vision for those that the Lord loves around us and propel them to become what God intends them to be. Now, as you are thinking about this process and how you may need to apply it, let's visit one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, the story of Eli and Samuel. We're going to start in 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 16. Say there when you get there. Eli's sons were, were wicked men. They have no regard for the Lord. Say boo. boo. Now, it was the practice of the priests when the people that whenever, uh, whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, boil, the servant of the priest will come, will come with a, uh, with a three, a three porkish fork in his hand. He will, uh, he will plush into the pan and kettle on, on coltron or pot. The priest will take for himself whatever the folk brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelite who came to, Sh to Shiloh. But, even, but uh, even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest will come and say to the man, who was sacrificing, give us the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from, uh, from you, but only raw. If a man say to him, let the fat be burned, burn off first, and then take whatever you want, the servant will then answer, no, uh, no, hand it over now. If you're done, I, I will take it by force. So first we see in this story that Eli's sons disregard the Lord. They have no regard for him. They have no disregard for the Lord because his father didn't have any regard for the Lord. Because they were comfortable abusing the people and taking, and taking for themselves the sacrifice. On verse 14, it says that they, threw, that they treat all the people of Israel this way. So they actually said, the story where Samuel star, where Samuel star, a star, and and the priest Eli and his sons, they do not care about the Lord 
because they abuse the people. They abuse the people and abuse the Lord. Now, when you're reading they had no regard for the Lord, it doesn't mean that they didn't mentally accept that the Lord existed. That's not what that means. When it says they had no regard for the Lord, it means that they had no honor. They did not prioritize the Lord above all. They did not put the Lord first daily in everything that they did. They didn't even think of anything to seek the Lord. That's what it means that they did not regard the Lord. I know if you're like me, on some weeks, some of us fall into that category. It's not just Eli. But notice what what that causes them to do. No regard for the Lord causes them to abuse the people around them. Do you see that? Now look at 1 Samuel 2, 22 through 26. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel, do you hear that? how that's tucked right there? And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. So in this passage, we're seeing some beautiful things and some tragic things. But what we're doing is setting the backdrop of how a man named, how a boy named Samuel grew up and became the prophet Samuel. This is the setting of the story. In this passage, Eli attempts to correct his sons, but it's clearly already too late. At this point, nothing could be done for them. His sons did not listen to, to him because God had already determined the outcome. You see, we can glean from this passage that Eli's problem is that he did not start sooner in disciplining his sons. Because Eli was most likely prone to the same issues in his heart. Eli most likely did not regard the Lord and tacitly allowed his sons to disregard the Lord. Until it became a problem and a report went out amongst all of the people. That's when he chose to correct it. But before we move on to verse 29, notice the introduction of God's solution. Samuel is continuing to grow in stature and favor while this is going on. This is the backdrop for the man of God, Samuel, that he is going to come and be for Israel what they need him to be. Tell me, do men of God always grow in safe, nice, neat environments? It's not what happened to Samuel. And you're going to see how God uses Samuel as a young boy in a little bit. So in verse 29, this is the prophecy against uh, Eli and their son, and his son. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I uh, prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your son more than me by, uh, by fathering yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? So now we see that Eli have the same heart issue that their son. That's actually where they got him from. He honored his sons more than his honor, than his honor God. 
not only did Eli some benefit from the sacrifices, but also Eli, uh, Eli benefited from the sacrifices. He was fat and blind. He took, he took benefit from the people. And God won't see this, in, uh, this unpunished. This is what continues saying in verse 34. And what happened to your, to your two sons, Huffin and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die the same day. I will rise up for, my say, for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mine. See, the Lord, that's what the Lord is looking for. It's men that is do, looking to do what is on the Lord's hearts, not their own hearts. And, the, and to this person, this is what the Lord do. I will firmly establish in his house, and he, uh, and he will minister before my anointing one, always. You see, God has pronounced judgment on Eli's house. He will die, and his sons will die too. This is the result of disregarding the Lord. The, resource, the, the, the result, when you do not have vision for God and atone from the people. Eli have a unrighteous radical. For he put his sons on the top. Probably got, was somewhere in the middle. And the people were right on the bottom. I want you to see that image. The radical, we know that God's going first. But Eli put his sons first. God was somewhere in the middle. He did rebuke their son. But he actually took part of that. And then the people of God, the very people that he was there for, was at the bottom. See, sometimes we think that we don't do these things. We don't do things in our church. But what about when the pastor brings correction to you? When they show you how you treat in your family is not the way that God ordained. ordained. But you still choose to do it your own way. You have placed your family on the top. Wow. And the people of God, the brothers around you, the pastors that are correcting you, that's the people of God that you're putting on the bottom. Think about this. You know, we may not say these things, but we certainly do. We certainly do when we are corrected. And we're, oh, I don't know, that doesn't seem that is for me. That's not how I want to uh, lead my family. That's not how I want to discipline my kids. That's not what the Lord has shown me. But this is what the Word says. And you choose your sons. You choose your family. You choose your job. Whatever that is, fill it in. But you're choosing that. And you're mistreating the people of God. See, this won't go unpunished. But the Lord is merciful, and he wants to cleanse you for this thing. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> you don't, uh, we don't disregard these things. We're actually going to take action today. Amen. And we're going to have our radical right. Amen? Amen. So let's jump to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Because we're going to see in just like Isaiah's day, God has a solution. And it's starting with a young boy named Samuel. In verse 1, 
The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. We now, in this point in the story, finally see what was plaguing Eli and his family for so long. The root of the issue is that there were not many visions in the life of Eli. Weren't very many visions in those days. And we also see that the word of the Lord was rare during his leadership. In fact, his eyes were growing weak. His lack of vision of the Lord was causing him to not be able to see at all. During his reign, the people were no better than in the time of the judges. You know, throwing off restraint because of lack of vision, because there was no vision in the leadership of Eli. But thank God, say thank God, God. new leadership was being raised up. Verse 2 tells us that Eli laid down in his usual place. The Hebrew just says, in his place. So what we can infer from this passage is that he had his own place. He made a place for himself, and it's clear from this passage that it wasn't in the temple of the Lord. I know in all the children's story Bibles, it's usually in the temple with Samuel. But it says he has his own place. And where was Samuel? The lamp of God had not gone out. Samuel chose to sleep in the presence of God. You see, it is in this place that Samuel begins to hear the voice of the Lord. It is in this place that Samuel begins to interact with God. That Samuel as a young boy begins to interact with God's character and interact with God's voice. You see, this is a profound message for us, church. When the, Lord, when the word of the Lord is rare among us, and there aren't many daily visions of the Lord in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds, and as a result, this causes the abuse of people around us, be like Samuel. Stop everything and be near the lamp of God. Get your righteous reticle sighted in and hear the Lord's voice. Because this moment is going to change Israel's history forever. Samuel is starting his process of interacting with God's character. And you're going to see in a second that he magnifies that and it becomes a daily event in Samuel's life. On 1 Samuel uh, 3.19, we continue reading. It says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he left none of his wall fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attended as a, a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. At, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. You see, Samuel continued this seeking the Lord constantly. Where the Lord says that he go, there he go. Where the Lord says that he stand, there he stand. Samuel was where the land of the Lord were, uh, was. Where the light that gives sight, that's where Samuel was. He was near 
to the temple, near to the ark. But Eli was in his usual place. Where have you been lately? Have you been on your usual, common, comfortable Netflix doing stuff? Or have you been in the presence of the Lord? Seeking his face. Looking for his divine revelation through his word and through his spirit. Samuel didn't have usual business. He had serious business with the Lord. And he developed this. He came seeking revelation constantly. This change. This, this is actually what he says our prophetic vision. That we seek for revelation that change our brother's life. Life changing revelation for our families. That's how Samuel lived his life. Lord's voice spoke to Samuel, and God revealed himself to Samuel through his word. We need to start here, church. His word will reveal us things for our brothers, for our family, for one another. Samuel's eyes were full of life, just like Psalm 19, 7 through 8 says. Psalm 19, 7 through 8. Say it there when you get there. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. Can I have an amen for that? Amen. The statue of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The command of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. That's what we need to get a radical right. It's the word of God that directs us. Like Samuel searching his word daily. And God's were revealing to him through his word. This produced the same desire for transformation that we see in Isaiah. Samuel had the same transformation because he saw and had a revelation of who God is. That caused him to change. That caused him to repent. So he can be sent for his nation, for his brothers, for his family. What that will do in you. That you start seeking the Lord wholeheartedly, that you start seeing his righteousness, his character, Riley, and that you see that you are far from there, and you are eager to change yourself, you eager to be transformed, and the Lord will meet you at that point. He will meet you there, and he will cause transformation for the sake of your family, for the sake of your brother, for those around you. See, this gave someone right vision for the people, just like, like uh, Isaiah. This also reminds us of how the Lord worked in Ezra's life. You remember this from, from Tuesday night. Let's have a slider. My brother Justin will, will, will cover that. And I want you to put clear attention to what I'm about to say right now. Ezra started in the same place that Isaiah and Samuel did. Ezra started by personally opening the book. That caused Ezra to stand in a unique way. Ezra spoke in a way that opened the spiritual realm to others. And Ezra inspired those around him to stand in a familiar fashion. In a similar fashion. As you're looking at that slide, reckon with it. Ezra started by opening the book. How did the Lord reveal himself to Samuel? Through his word. This allowed Ezra, this allowed Isaiah, this allowed 
Samuel to personally see the Lord through his word and to see himself rightly. This allowed him to stand in a unique way, not standing above his brothers on a big imposing kind of way, on a big tower above his brothers. No, it causes him to stand among his brothers. It caused him to stand for his brothers. It caused him to stand by his brothers. It caused him to stand with his brothers. It caused him to stand from his brothers, and it caused him to stand to his brothers. And then he spoke in a way that opened the spiritual realm, freeing them, solving them, solving their riddles for them, and opening a way for them. And not only that, he inspired them to take a stand. You see, what we're learning tonight is that the blind cannot lead, I'm sorry, the blind cannot lead the blind. We need to, the word to open our eyes to who our king is, where we need to be transformed, where we need atonement, and then we can lead. Amen. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes, Lord, to the vision of who you are through what I am reading in your law and your word. You see, Samuel did this. Ezra did this, and we must do this because the vision of our brothers is at stake. Let's put this lay in the screen again. See, when we personally engage with the Scripture, we can, we can stay a stand in what the Scripture said. We can actually live what the Scripture said. We first need to personally engage with it. Then we will be able to develop deep conviction about the Word. That what will actually make us stand in a different way. It will make us stand in confidence that doesn't come from us. Come but it's come from the Lord. Yeah. Then we can preach the word boldly. Yeah. We can preach the word because we actually interact. We live there. We walk it out. We can tell to others what the word has done to us. And that will inspire others. That's what, that, that's what uh, the Lord is showing us, church. In contrast to this... We often try to preach the word before we take a stand. You try to preach the word before you actually engage with it and live it. That's going make you a fool. That makes you a fool that you don't know what you're talking about when you're confronted because you have not experienced it. We try to inspire others before we open the word. Why are you trying to lead them then to? Because if you don't have sustenance, what inspiration are you giving to the people? Man, but when we do this rightly, yeah. man, we see lives changing in people. We see the world breaking change. We see people coming alive. We see marriage restored. We see people healed. We see brotherhoods binding together. We need to get this right. See, we're going to move back to 1 Samuel. We're going to start on verse 16, uh, 16 and verse 4. And we're going to see how Samuel's uh, daily lifestyle, uh, what, what Samuel's daily lifestyle called him to do. In this verse, Samuel is being, being sent to anoint David as a king. After, uh, after Saul was rejected for the, the same reason that Eli was rejected. 
First Samuel 4. Uh, I'm sorry, First Samuel 16, 4. Samuel did what the Lord says. Say amen to that. Amen. Man, that's a good way to start. <laughs> Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived to, Beth, uh, to Bethlehem, the elder of the town trembled when they meet him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice for the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come and come to the, uh, to, uh, to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw uh, Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stand here before the Lord. Notice, notice first that Samuel did what the Lord told him. He actually... Hear the word, and he put it in action. And what that's called, people tremble because somewhere stood differently. That's called fear to the enemy of God when we stand in the word because they don't know where their confidence comes from. It's curtain. Samuel did this, and people recognize that God is with him. Someone moved through obedience and ready. To offer, uh, to offer sacrifices to the Lord. When his eyes were open to receive prophetic vision from the Lord on what to do next. Now check out what happens in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the, at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, lest you think that Samuel's spiritual eyes are failing him, consider what is really going on in this passage. Samuel spent his life in the presence of the Lord. He spent his life daily interacting with the scripture, and he spent his life crying out for personal transformation and actually receiving it. Here in this moment, where it may seem deceiving to the eyes, Samuel is able to hear the voice of the Lord when it matters most. He is able to have true godly vision for the people around him, and he can see what no one else in the room can see. Amen. In verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. You see, Samuel was able to see what no one else could see because he could see with the Lord's eyes. His life of seeing the character of the Lord and interacting with it allowed him to anoint his brother. Samuel was a Levite. David was from the tribe of Judah. 
but they were family. And it allowed him to look at this young brother and say, you're going to rise up to become a king even though nobody in your family sees it. You see, no one could recognize David's call. He was only a young, ruddy shepherd, but Samuel had spent enough time interacting personally with his God that he had eyes to see for those around him. You are going to learn in the coming days about what this produced in David's life. But for now, first considered how this must be applied in your lives. It is all too easy to be like one of David's brothers or even his father, not recognizing the call on the lives around us. But may it never be, church. This will only come from your interaction with God's nature. When you excel in that on a daily basis, he will fill your eyes with his vision for those around you, even if you cannot see it. Even if they cannot see it. Even if their family cannot see it. But you know the vision is from God because you know God personally. Church, I don't want you to miss something. Samuel saw Eli, and he was surprised by Eli. But the Lord immediately told him, this is not the one. It wasn't that, that, that Samuel got it wrong. It was that his experience and relationship with the Lord giving discernment immediately yeah. to actually sit rightly. That's the type of relationship that we need. Let's go to Mark 8. We're going to start uh, on verse 23. Say there when you get there. So this is Jesus um, entering to, uh, uh, to a town where there's a blind man in there. It's a Bethsaida, actually. This is where Jesus is at. He says, he says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the, uh, spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on, uh, on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the, man, on the man's eyes. Then his eyes, his eyes were opened. His size was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent, to him, uh, Jesus sent him home, saying, do not go into this village. See, Jesus took the man out of the town. He took the man out of the pollution, out of the environment that was polluting this man's vision. He cleared, he cleansed the man and gave him sight. Notice that the blind, mind, the, the, the blind guy, he didn't see at once. Jesus have to do this multiple times. So what's the case with you? When you came to this church, you couldn't see anything. But your eyes were open. Your eyes were open and you were, and you were able to see clearly. Matter of fact, our pastor did it to you many times. And for some of you, they're still doing it because you have choose to go back to the village, to the pollution that is blinding you. The pollution of your own desires and your fleshly nature that want the things of this world. So how does this look like? Normally, when you don't see Riley, when you don't see your, your brothers Riley, 
me dice, mm, I don't know, I don't think I have enough to talk about with that brother. Oh, I don't get along with them. They don't like the same thing that I like. I don't know, that brother is too strong in Christ. Or, oh, I don't know, I'm too weak in Christ. Oh, we just not from the same country. We just don't eat the same food. We just don't, we just don't, we don't do this, we don't do this. That is pollution that is being on your side. Amen. Ask me how do I know. Because the Lord has opened my eyes. He has opened my eyes to see clearly who my brothers are. And I know that you still have the same pollution. And I know the Lord tonight will open your eyes. So you can actually open your eyes and fight for your brother. And has vision for them because they need it. The Lord puts you in here because he can call the end from the beginning. And even if you cannot see what you are about to become, he can see it because he has called it from the very beginning of the world. He has called, he has spoken you into creation. He will transform you in what you will become. Now we have the opportunity to open our eyes. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 18. Say, open your eyes when you get there. Open your eyes. Says, but whenever. Anyone's turn to, to the Lord. Say, hallelujah. The veil is taken away. That's great news, church. Your veil will be taken away when you turn to him. You'll be able to see rightly. You'll be able to have your shalom in the proper place. You'll be able to see your brothers and have insight about their life. Because you're seeking your God first. Your blind is being taken away. It says, now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Church, this is what we experience. The freedom of seeking Him constantly, or getting on His Word for inside, on walking on it, on repenting rightly. There is freedom on this thing. And the Spirit, just like Samuel, is opening our eyes. So we can say, Lord... Here I am, taking a stand on your word and what you have for, for my brothers. Give it to me because I'm gladly to deliver to them. It says, and we who we unveil faces all reflect the glory of God. Are being transformed into his likeness. Whenever increasing glory, we come from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is only... Only when we turn to him that we can have vision. And this vision gives us freedom. Gives us freedom of sin, of sin and, and, and selfishness. Our, uh, our righteous eyes get restored. Our gentle back get placed in the right place so we can see rightly our brothers. Knowing that, that we are being transformed constantly. That what you see right now, look at your brothers. Look at them. What you see now, that's about to change. For good, they will become the righteousness of God. But now, if you don't see it, have the true testimony. Or see what your brother will become. Have the righteousness of God to see what they will be 
what the, uh, the righteousness that they're becoming. We need faith on my brothers. We may see them like, a, eh, I don't know about that brother. I don't know where he's heading. But, you can, but when you have direction from the Lord, you're able to correct that and see how the Lord sees them. Man, where's my wife? Back there. Lena, we will see our children become what the Lord said they will become. Husband, you will see your wife become what they will become. Parents, you will see what your children will become. You have to engage the word daily for inside, for revelation from the word. From his prophetic vision that even if they're not yet, they still will become what the Lord says because we stand in the word. Amen. Amen. We're going to move towards a close. I want to read to you two more passages. You guys ready? First John 3, chapter 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Church, what I will be, what you will be, what we will be together has not yet been made known. But what we do know is that we will be like him. How important then is it to know him? If I know that Spencer is going to be like God, how important is it for me to know God so I can help Spencer become like God? You see, it's hard to know what your brothers will be. It's hard to know what your brothers will be like when you don't know who they will be like. When you're not interacting with the Lord. You're not interacting with his character. It's hard to know what your family will become when you are not interacting with God through his word daily, but instead you are just interacting with their perceived faults daily. It's hard to know who we will be like when we're just looking at each other's flesh. It's time to stop setting our eyes primarily on the people around us as our source of vision. I will always let you down. That's just the truth. But the Lord will not let you down. He can cause you to prophesy to dry bones while he demonstrates it before your eyes. It's time to start setting our eyes on his character, and then we will have vision for one another. We're going to turn back to where we started this message, and that's Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Look, where there is no interaction with God's character... It's chaos. Where there is no transformation in your life and actual atonement, it's chaos. But when you have a vision from the Lord and you're seeing him rightly, and subsequently you have a vision for the brothers around you out of that process, oh, there's shalom, church. Have you ever seen a work project where nobody knew what this building was going to look like when it was finished? The people cast off restraint in every regard. I've seen some nasty plumbing stuff and some nasty electrical work and all kinds of stuff because peop the people had no vision. It's the same thing with your homes. It's the same thing with your interaction and your teams. If you don't have a vision from the Lord of who he is, you won't have a vision of who they are supposed to become. I want to share a slide with you to summarize this message. 
Four steps to having prophetic vision. You must start with interacting with God's character daily through his word. I'm not talking about just reading it. I'm not talking about just listening to it or talking about it. Interacting with God's character daily through his word. What did the word show you about God's character today? What did the word show you about God's character yesterday? From there, we implement personal transformation daily. And then we are inundated in his cleansing daily. And from there, we illuminate God's vision to our brothers. You see, you can't have any of these on these lists without starting at number one. But number one is cause and effect. It will cause number two to happen. It will cause number three to happen. It will cause number four to happen. You see, we cannot have step four. Everybody doing team meetings? We cannot have step four without step one. If we don't interact, we will not implement. If we don't implement, we definitely won't be inundated. If we are not inundated, we will ultimately impede our brother's calling and even at times impose our own vision on them. I want to ask you a question. If we are not interacting with God's character daily, we have to ask ourselves, what are we interacting with? What is filling our minds? If we are not implementing transformation daily, then what are we implementing? Stagnancy? The same old, same old? The appearance of doing well? If we are not inundated in cleansing, I ask again, what are we being inundated with? Jesus warned about what will happen with a house that is swept clean and not replaced with something. But if we commit to this, my friends, we will see the mountains moving closer. We will see the stars shining brighter as we begin to look at the Lord. We will see callings and lives that are full of vision grow in this place. We'll actually have vision to look into the earth, draw out those precious metals and stones and polish them up because we know what they can become. But it all starts with your interaction with the Lord. Turn on your feet. The altar will be open in a few minutes. But we want to take this time to med meditate about this word. Meditate where we've been placing uh, amenity between our brothers. Where we've not been looking for God's direction, God vision, prophetic vision for our brothers. For those around us, for those that have been given to us. Where we actually been uh, speaking to them out of our selfish desire, out of our selfish uh, nature. But not looking God first for how God sees them. Meditate on where in your life have you have pollution that, is blind, that has been blind you, where you've been looking in the wrong places, where you've been looking for the wrong, for the wrong things, where you have actually don't think that you have enough to be part of this body, where you think that you don't have enough to be a brother to someone else. Where you have not been a brother to somebody else. We need to clean the pollution, the things of this world that don't belong to the kingdom of God. The altar will be open and we will cry out to the Lord to, to fix our radical. 
So we will put him first and everything else will be added. Your own way will bring death like Eli's son. But your repentance, like Isaiah, it will cause you to rise up for your brother and being commissioned for their sake, for your brothers. As I, as I pray and you approach to the altar, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for vision for your brothers. Ask the Lord for direction for those around you. Ask the Lord to cleanse you for your own way and to see your brothers rightly. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, because you're righteous, God. You show us, Father, our iniquities, Father, and your desire is to cleanse us, God, so we can be sent, so we can go, Father, on your behalf, so we can be sent, Father, and change the world around us. But we first desire to make it right with you. In the areas, Father, that we have put our own desire, when we have misplaced immunity, God, when we have put our own ways, God, and disregard you, where we have, Father, put our own thoughts of who our brothers are instead of seeking you for who they are or what their promises for them are on how to build them up in love as you do, God. Cleanse us and make it right in your sight, Father, so we can lift up our brothers. In Jesus' name we pray.